Hey everyone, welcome to another edition of Future Food Weekly Live with me, Sonali Figueres, your co-host, and uh, Steve Molino. Hey, Steve. Hey, Sonali. How's it going? You know, it's going good. And also, for a few reasons. Well, one, it's pre-Thanksgiving, and I'm not even American, but I get excited about Thanksgiving. And I managed to score a really cool invite to a Thanksgiving potluck in Hong Kong. So I will get Thanksgiving food. Thank you very much, which I'm excited about. But also, I'm excited (laughs) because we... Finally, finally, have a new awesome, awesome, proper, permanent podcast graphic. Um, and shout out to your colleague Kim who helped us do it. And I just love how it looks. And everybody who's listening will have seen it in the newsletter. And hopefully, when you share it on LinkedIn, and I'm gonna finally, now that I'm getting my act together, I'm also gonna share it. And I'm just so excited because I feel like we started this podcast totally kind of as a just as, as like a a fun thing to do with like no plan and now we're like I think taking it to the next level and um yeah I'm just loving it and I'm starting to have people reference it and come to me and say oh yeah you guys said this about this and I just feel like we're we're building an audience and it's time to you know get the word out more which I know I have not been good at doing um personally, other than obviously Green Queen and my team does a great job of it. But I just love our new graphic. I love doing this podcast with you. And I think that, you know, there's so much more exciting stuff to come. I agree. And I am, I I, I don't know. It's so funny. I don't know why I'm so excited about this graphic, but like, we look good. This looks great. (laughs) Like, I'm very excited to get this out there. And like, we're the same, but like, it just, it's, it's kind of like a, a refresh and a jump into the next, next stage. So I'm excited. I, I can't wait. Totally. And like for everyone listening, the podcast graphic we did, we had before, it was literally like a two minute job on Canva between Steve and me and no big deal. We like didn't even think about it because we just, we kind of started this on a lark and we were kind of like, can we be the pivot of, of food tech? And, uh, you know, cause if, if anybody knows me, I'm just a hardcore pivot man. And like, obviously if anybody's following the open AI saga pivot and Kara Swisher had all the goss. So, you know, they are just like all hell, the queen, the other queen, not the green queen, the tech queen. <laughs> um, but you know, it's so great that it's just, we really worked out and I really love these conversations. And I think you know, the newsletter is our base from which to have these conversations, but they've evolved into something more, which is kind of, you know, ruminations on food system change and climate and food and what makes for great innovation. And I'm just, I guess this is a thankful speech. I guess it's like I'm in my pre-Thanksgiving mode and I'm giving thanks. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I'm I I agree. Thankful for this. Thankful for the the food I'm going to eat tomorrow. I'm going to eat so much food. I'm gonna, it's it's just going to be like it's going to be bad. It's going to be really bad. But then, as I'm as I'm feeling very full, I'll listen to our podcast episode, and and, and that'll be good. <laughs> okay, well, don't bore your family and make them listen. But still, um, are you getting lots of vegan food for Thanksgiving? Oh yeah. So we got vegan pumpkin pie, vegan lasagna. Um, there's like the sweet potato casserole that, that we, we have that my wife makes. That's, that's amazing. Obviously vegan. It's, it's all good, but, but 
for those of you not in the U.S. or who haven't experienced Thanksgiving before, just picture way too much food, a ton of family, and you try to keep it all civil and fun and a little bit of football on TV, American football. Um, but it's, it's, a, it's a holiday around eating and hanging out with your family. So it's pretty awesome. I love it. I can't wait for my own version. Um, it's not a vegan Thanksgiving that I'm going to, but I've been assured there will be vegan options and I'm going to bring a couple of vegan things. I'm still figuring out what I'm doing. It's on Saturday. So technically it's not on Thanksgiving day, which is tomorrow, but anyway, exciting. I mean, the fact that you found a, a Thanksgiving potluck to go to in Hong Kong is impressive in and of I itself. <laughs> I usually have an invite at my friend's house, but she couldn't do it this year. And then on Tuesday, I, I got another invite and I was so happy because I was bummed on Monday when I realized I didn't have Thanksgiving plans to the point where my husband and I were like, should we just do like our own mini Thanksgiving, even though we're not American at home and just, and just like cook <laughs> anyway. <laughs> and it's funny because growing up, um, I celebrated Canadian Thanksgiving because my stepdad was Canadian and I never liked the turkey. I always liked the sides and they were mostly vegan, maybe a couple of vegetarian, but it was very vegan friendly or plant forward friendly. And I just always thought, why does anyone care about the turkey? What's really good is the sides. Yeah. I mean, unpopular opinion is like, no one's really that into the turkey. There's like maybe one no, person in every like family. Everyone dry. else is like, and my dad always yeah. ate all the dark meat. So like you only had like the boring white meat. I was like, <laughs> oh, I don't know. You know, I never just, I was never that excited about it anyway. <laughs> anyway, perfect segue into cultivated meat. <laughs> <laughs> yes. One day there will be a cultivated turkey. I'm hoping anyway. So big story this week. Um, we actually got all this news around different cultivated meat companies that were opening facilities. And we just thought it would be more interesting to look at it on a more holistic level. So absolutely loads of different companies from all four corners of the globe announced, um, you know, new facilities or pilot facilities or scale-up facilities. You got Dutch startup Meetable um, with their new pilot plant. You got Africa's Cultivated meat startup, New Form Foods, working on a demo facility that's meant to be the largest of its kind in the continent. Got Australia's Magic Valley that expanded into a new pilot facility at um, at a at a bio innovator and incubator collabs. Got LA-based Omeat, you know, famous for the way that they take the blood plasma from adult cows. They're they're completing um, production of their fifteen thousand square foot pilot plant. And there was other things going on and there's just been other announcements and it's it's exciting to see that there is investment and and movement in scaling up um, some of the, let's say the second wave of companies because a lot of cultivated meat in the in the news is about the, the original, the OGs as I call them that I did the whole uh, other podcast on. But this is a lot of the, the second wave, the third wave of companies that are coming in and, and filling different kind of niches what do you think yeah and, and 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 i like this idea of like waves of companies and that's actually one of the things that came to mind for me when i was looking at this where i, I was really thinking 
obviously this is great, right? To see this type of shift to pilot production or production facilities across the board, across geographies for cultivated meat. But one thing that I was really thinking, I was reading through this, I'm like, oh, they are all taking not exactly the same approach. They're not all just saying we're building a pilot facility. It's the exact same square footage with the exact same bioreactors and, and underlying tech. They are, there are key differences amongst them. And some of it's specific to the actual like cell lines or growth media that they use or that technology. And other times it's more around the engineering and, and the production side of things where maybe they're doing it themselves with pr proprietary bioreactors or they're using different types of engineering firms to help them construct these pilot facilities. But the reason why I think that's interesting and why that hits on this idea that you're bringing up of waves of culture, cultivated meat companies is, it, let's call this the second wave. This second wave is going to have, is going to offer that many more data points to, to show what works and what doesn't work at pilot production scale. And hopefully they all work and they're, they're all just different approaches, but I don't think that's what's going to happen. I, I do think that some things will work better than others. And then there will be a third wave and a fourth wave and a fifth wave of companies. And they will be able to immediately take those learnings in the future and say, when you look at the second wave, really only two approaches to pilot production facilities or production facilities in general work. So we're going to just start there. We're going to skip any of the, the, the headaches or failures that we saw from, from the second wave. And we're just going to go right to the things that worked. And that's how this space is going to continue to evolve. So I just see this as an exciting next step for the space with this, the second wave idea. Um, and then I, I, I also like, it is just exciting in general. Like there's going to be more cultivated meat that comes online for consumers to taste. Like these facilities will produce something at, at with, and we'll be able to understand the unit economics from them. Consumers will be able to try it. If, if the unit economics makes sense, then maybe the money for the larger facilities will be uh, funded by project finance or non-dilutive options that require some type of history of the economics of it. But either way, really, really interesting. Um, and yeah, it's cool to see how many companies are doing this. Exactly. And that's what we really wanted to spotlight, that there are so many other companies than the you know, the six or seven that are always in the news and that, that definitely laid the groundwork for a lot of this, um, but that the industry is moving forward and there's action across the world. And sometimes the mainstream media gets way too caught up with what's going on with, once again, two Californian companies. But anyhow, I digress. Um, <laughs> I say that. What's her second story? So her second story is getting caught up with one of those California food companies that you were talking about. <laughs> so, so I, basically, when you looked at the newsletter, it was interesting because you and your team you did a, a piece that um, was about Eat Just and Josh Tetrick, who is the CEO. And it was in response to a Wired piece that came out about them, about some of the financial struggles that they're going through. Um, but then also in the newsletter, there was another another point that says Josh, the CEO again of Eat Just, he was the only person from the alt protein industry to be named to the inaugural Time 100 climate list of the most influential business leaders. So Time put together this list of climate leaders and he was the only one in alt protein. So on one hand, we have 
these pieces coming out saying that Eat Just is possibly being financially mismanaged and they're not paying their bills and there's they're they're taking bets on bioreactor sizes and pilot facilities that are unreasonable and all this negative stuff. And then on the other side, they're saying Josh is the only leader worth mentioning out of the entire alt protein space because he's a visionary and he's trying to push things to the next level and he's not afraid to do so. And if he's right, this could be completely reshaping the food system for the better. So this is not, I'm bringing these up not to say, I think one approach to thinking about this is right and one is wrong, but just, it's just, it's a very interesting juxtaposition of these two, these two articles or ideas of it, it, it all depends on what the goals are of these companies, the investors and what they're pushing to do. And there's not necessarily a right answer, right? Like Josh on one hand, yeah, you could say he could be doing things a little bit more conservatively or not taking such big bets that if they're wrong, then you wasted hundreds of millions of dollars. But then on the other hand, it's like, well, is he out there to create a mom and pop food company that sells at farmers markets? Does that, is that going to change the food system? Or is he saying, if we're going to do this, we're going to do it big and it, and push the limits. And if he's right and it works, then he's seen as a genius. And if he's wrong, then he's seen as an idiot. Right. And he's seen as someone who's completely wasting money. So I just thought it was interesting. I don't really know. Um, I, I could, I guess I can convince myself either way. It was just super interesting. What do you think about it? Well, I love that you brought it up. Um, you have hit at the core of my job, which is I'm the editor of Green Queen. I decide, you know, what we cover and where we're, what we're looking at. I, I, I weigh up the stories and what I think is important, what I think is meaningful. And I felt that this was a story. So a little bit of background, the Wired story came out the same day as the Time 100 list news that he was included and that he was the only alt protein um, founder to be included. And I could have done one story. Um, and I just, I took a step back. I talked to my reporter. Uh, my reporter actually started writing it as one story. And eventually I looked at the copy and I really wasn't convinced. And I really did take a step back. And especially having just done my podcast on the, you know, with the six cultivated uh, founders, the OGs, Josh being one of those six, um, I decided that what was important to do here was one, recognize the news of Josh's inclusion. And, you know, had it been one of, you know, 10 old protein founders included on the list, I don't think it would have been as newsy, but this was the only one. And, and actually, if you look at the list, he's not just one of the only ones in all protein and in, 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 he's one of the only ones in food. So his achievements and his journey have were deemed important enough for him to be one of the only people on the list. Now, I, I know that there are people listening and people reading that are going to think, well, these lists, you know, are they paid? Like who's doing them? What the hell exactly? And to some extent, all these lists have flaws and are imperfect in the same way that we as humans are imperfect, but it it is an achievement. And it I think it merited its own story. And 
to be honest, had they both not come out on the same day, those pieces of news, I would never have put them together. Um, and then I just felt like I really wanted to give the company a chance to address some of what was brought up in, in Wired's reporting. And to be fair, in Wired's reporting, they did have some responses from Josh and some from their head of comms, Carrie Kabat. But I felt that I wanted to get our own version from them. Like, what, what are you thinking? And I wanted to have my own discussion with the company. Um, because once again, you know, in the very much the same way that Beyond Meat and Impossible Foods just take up all the space of the headlines for plant-based meat. Now we've got Eat Just and Good Meat who are taking up, sorry, Good, good Meat from Eat Just and Upside Foods who are taking up all the space of all the headlines around cultivated meat. Now it's not a coincidence. They are both the two largest cultivated meat companies in the US. They are also the two companies that got regulatory approval. Um, over the summer. And obviously we knew that once they got this regulatory approval, they were going to have a degree of scrutiny applied to them that, you know, it, in the same way that Beyond now has so much scrutiny because it went public. So on, on one hand, I understand like why there's a need to constantly do reporting on them. On the other hand, the Wired piece to me was a bit of a mixed bag. Yes, there were some employees that, you know, talked about Josh's management style there were, there were stories about lawsuits. Um, very, very honestly, some of that reporting had already been done by Bloomberg. So some of it wasn't necessarily a scoop. Um, I think the biggest scoop was that, you know, the company is no, not able to necessarily cover the costs of their big bioreactor project, which was going to be 10 bioreactors by a bioreactor company called AB, ABEC. Um, but it just felt like our, what is the what what are we trying to get at here? And I think what you're saying with your commentary is really, what do we want from these people, these innovators, these founders, these people who are going out on a limb and saying, I want to change the food system, you know? And it's funny because in the wire, yeah. if you look at the end, you know, first there were there were also people that said Josh can do anything and he he's also he's a great leader. And there were people that said the opposite. And then at the end, you know, he said what he repeated to me in different words and what he said to me also during our podcast, which is like, this is really hard. And there are some days where it's ridiculously hard and it feels too hard. And I don't know if I'm going to get there, but I want to try. Yeah, and I and I I think to this idea of that, like if you read what you you got out of Josh, right, when you were asking him questions, is like it, I also feel like there's this this idea of like villainizing founders who make big bets and maybe maybe it doesn't pay off or maybe it looks like it might not pay off or or whatever. There's difficulties that they that they come into, but he very clearly said. We made an assumption. We made these really, we signed these big contracts to create these massive bioreactors. I think it was like 10, 250,000 liter bioreactors. And it was based on this idea that we assumed we would get more funding to continue to push those forward. That didn't come to fruition. And the market environment changed, like things, things changed. And so it didn't allow for that to come to fruition. But he wasn't sitting there saying like, 
no, well, we we definitely should have made this decision, and 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 we're still pushing forward with it. He's saying, okay, things changed. That was unfortunate and unexpected, and. Sure. Everyone can have an opinion about whether or not he should have assumed that, right? It's easy to have an opinion, but you're not the one running the company. And I think what's what's more important is that now he's saying things have changed. The assumptions were wrong. So now we're pivoting our strategy on the egg side of things, which is not the cultivated meat side. We're purely focused on hitting profitability, break even in profitability and zero burn, I think is what he was saying. And then on the cultivated side, clearly they are going to try to figure that out. They're not just going to say, well, let's just not pay the vendors and that's that. So I think it's he's, he's, he's showing that he wants to push things in a different direction now that there's new information at hand. And again, on that point that you were bringing up as well, what do we want out of these founders? As an investor, as a venture capital investor, which is different than other types of investors, I would much rather back founders who are truly looking to reshape the food system for the better versus someone who wants to create a small food business that might be totally sustainable from an economic standpoint, maybe make a couple hundred grand a year uh, for the business. And then they have a, they, they can pay their mortgage. There's nothing wrong with that. That's totally great. But as, as VCs, as investors in early stage companies, we want to, take bets on moonshots, things that will change the food system. And that's why Josh has been able to raise so much money. We haven't invested in, by the way, my firm, we, 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 we are not backers of him. I actually don't know him. So, Hey, Josh, if you want to talk, hit me up. But I, I just think it's like, there's a lot of demonizing him and his approach because now it's easy to look back hindsight's 2020 and say, he should have made decisions differently. Maybe he should have, but he's taking the new information at hand and, and pivoting and still thinking I want to fix the food system. So Right. And to be clear, know. for everyone listening, Josh and his company have had their fair share of controversies. These are not the first. And to address some of the more worrying stuff in the Wired article, it is not okay not to pay your bills. Um, Tetrix said as much to Wired, to us. Um, I hope that all the bills are on their way to being paid. It is, it is not okay not to pay your bills. No one is suggesting that it is. Um, and no one is suggesting that there haven't been moments in the company's history that were less than ideal. There have been. However, I think what we're trying to talk about here and what we're trying to get at is what do we want from our food system innovators? And what what are founders, what do we want from our founders? Just more philosophically, we we want them to go for the moonshot and then they get coverage in every single major newspaper and they're heroes and they're on every stage and you know they're he they're they're the, the people we look up to and then when things get tough and you know markets change conditions change eh, maybe they don't they don't they don't always make the right decision then you know it's sort of like well actually this person you know is is doing everything wrong and I think we what do we want from our founders? And like, are, is there any kind of founder that, that gets it right all the time? Um, and also how much, can no, of course not. That's a crazy thing to, to expect of them. And, and like, like also like as an investor, like what do I want from my founders? I want them to be visionaries. I want them to push the, push the, the space forward and really try to do things that are impactful. But also like, I want transparency. I want clear communication 
And there's nothing yet that I've seen that says that that hasn't happened with him and, and the, the board of, of each right. us. I have nothing. Exactly. It, maybe it has. I don't know. I, maybe he's not communicating exactly. well so or I there think, isn't transparency. I think the key thing here is like we want ethics. And obviously we're not the board. We don't know what's going on. But for now, it looks like certainly the, the board backs him to continue and, and he's going to keep trying. And and there's there are plenty of people in the company who seem to be behind him as well. So I think there there's a bigger story here. Um, I also think, and that's as an editor, what I was looking at as, as an editor who, who's like running a food system change media. I thought, I look back again at, at like 10 years and what companies like Good Meat and Upside Foods and Aleph Farms and Most of Meat have achieved. And it's a lot. It's not everything and it's nowhere near the end. But we've got regulatory approval. We've got production plants, we've got restaurants, a few, just a handful serving some of this stuff. We've got policy work in place, consumer testing work in place. Another hundred companies trying to make this a reality. I don't know, I think sometimes it's okay to say, you know, it's really hard and it may still not work. And it's certainly not the only solution but we are moving things forward here. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, 10 years ago, people were like, can you even do this? Can you can you grow cells outside of the animal? And that's like a question no one would ask today. So like we are we are light years ahead right. of where we've been and and we'll see what happens, but I I think I don't know. I think there's a little bit too much of like pointing fingers at like what should be done from a lot of people who are not the ones doing it, right? Um, right. And so it's easy to have an opinion. Right. Mm -hmm. But anyway, yeah, that, anyway, I mean, I'm sure that, we could talk about that forever. What What that, else on in, in this week's news did you well, did you find still, interesting? Still on the cultivated meat front, we have the big story from Italy where they've now gone and and done it again, another U-turn, and they have now banned. Uh, they passed a law that bans the production and sale of cultivated meat. Um, and bans, not only that, they've also banned the use of meat-related terms for plant-based meat product labeling. So steak, salami, can't do that. Now, this is just really, it's not totally unexpected. And as we've been covering the story, we, we've we spoken to tons of experts and policy folks and, and, and cultivated meat insiders. And this is where it seemed it was going to go. It, it's super interesting, though, because Italy is part of the EU and the EU is not on the same page. And so really the, the Italy is kind of going a little bit against EU policy. And, and also they're not really going to be able to ban cultivated meat from coming into the country from other players. Um, but what they're really doing is killing their own domestic, you know, protein innovation industry and saying, we will not support this. Um, obviously, Italy is currently under a far right government. So it's very, you know, nationalism first and and all this techno stuff is bad. And, you know, the government's intention, defend our civilization against a model driven by delocalization and long supply chain. That doesn't really add up because if anything, if they had invested in their own cultivated meat infrastructure, it would have been local and it would have been a tiny, short supply chain. 
Um, and again, as we pointed out in the article, Italy has a self-sufficiency rate of 42% for beef, which is not great. So I just, again, going in the wrong direction, like, you know, sh cutting off your nose to spite your face, anti-innovation for the sake of it, but not really from a logical point of view, really making a point that they, you know, separating their food policy from the EU's food policy, which, you know, makes me ask questions about the EU as a whole in terms of food policy and like, is, is Italy, you know, hinting at, you know, some kind of food Brexit? I don't know, but it's just, eh, why? Um, it just, it feels like it's appealing to the lowest common denominator of the voting population that just wants to hear an Italy first message. Um, and really it's, it's a miss for having been able to have said we can do cultivated meat with an Italy first approach. Yeah, I mean, I I fully agree with you. I, I don't know who like who this benefits, right? Like there, there, I don't even necessarily think this automatically benefits current farmers, uh, current farmers in, in, in Italy, right? Because it's just going to set them up for a, a, an industry that like might not succeed long-term. And, and I think like, it, it's kind of funny to me, like you can only produce less than 50% of your own beef domestically. So like, that means that you're, there's a chance that you're going to be importing cultivated meat in the long-term. Right. So I, I, I don't know. It, it's just one of those things, I, maybe I'm underestimating it. I don't really put that much weight on it because I just think that long-term they'll either cave to what the EU wants um, or they'll just be in a position where they're really um, importing meat, whether it's traditional or cultivated uh, in the future. So it's just shooting innovation in the foot. So <laughs> I don't know. I think it's embarrassing for them to be honest. Silliness. Absolutely silliness. Absolutely. Okay. Well, let's end on a, on a, on a high. What's the high of the week? <laughs> yeah. So the high of the week is, um, Basically, Germany set aside 38 million euro uh, to invest in the promotion of alt proteins to switch to plant-based ag. And then also there's 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 a focus on um, other alt protein areas. But this is this was done within their federal budget. So they have actually put money towards alt proteins to make it part of the food system. And they've done this in their their actual federal budget. Um, and there's a lot of details here to unpack that we could easily dive into. But I think the reality is just like, this is a great example of um, governments putting money where their mouse is and where their consumers' mouths want to be because Germany is a very forward-thinking country in terms of sustainable foods. Um, and I think it's just going to be, um, we're going to see more of this. We've already been talking about this with, with other countries, but not necessarily in this type of formalization. And I, I think that... Uh, I saw this and I was just really excited. I also happen that our firm has two investments in Berlin-based companies, which said so this helps a little bit, right? But um, I love the government support. I mean, Germany, I, I was on another podcast today where I was a guest um, and there was a, it, it, we, we, we had, we literally took up half the discussion talking about Germany and why it's such a special case and, you know, how good it is, how interesting it is and how, how much they're prioritizing food system change and what is unique about the country and, and yet again, you know, showing us how to do it. So once again, Germany, and I mean, looking over at your neighbor in Italy, going the complete wrong way about it. Um, it's good to see that, uh, you know, some countries are prioritizing 
what needs to be prioritized, which is fighting the climate crisis um, with food system change and investing with policy and funding in that change, right? It's not enough to just say that you support it. It's, it's the policy and the funding needs to come behind it. Absolutely. And it's an opportunity too. Let's not forget that. The people who take innovation seriously, they will reap the benefits of, of this shift in, in the food system. So Germany setting themselves up very well to, to take advantage of that. Also very true. Also very true. And on that note, I'm going to wish everyone a very happy Thanksgiving. I'm going to ask everyone who's listening, um, we'd be super grateful if you could share our podcast with people, if you like it, um, as we continue to build this out. And also give us feedback. How can we make it better? What do you want to see us talk about? Do we'd love to hear from you and see you next week and happy vegan Turkey day. <laughs>